Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. How is everybody? Welcome to Jubilee Church. Um, We are in the Gospel of Matthew, and there are four authorized biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for the better part of a year and a half. And by the grace of God, we will finish up the week after Easter. And over this year and a half, we've addressed several subjects. Matthew has uh, discipleship, money, relationships, healing, uh, miracles, greatness, rest, politics, hell, prayer, temptation. And last week in this text that was just read for us, Jesus was teaching on marriage and divorce. And he finishes this section with a few words on singleness. And I had a few people come up to me and what about parenting? Is it, you know, we're going to talk about that. And I told them there's not going to be a sermon this time on parenting, but I am writing a book on raising teenagers. It's called the North Korean years. Um, (laughs) when they are smart enough to make nuclear bombs, but not mature enough to handle them. And so you can just pay attention to that. Did you know, did you know that this generation in American history will will remain single longer than any other generation? Uh, For the average age for the first marriage in America is 30 for men. It's 28 for women. By the year 2030, which is just six years away, they are predicting that 50% of women aged 25 to 44 will be single. Um, By the time Gen Z, middle schoolers basically right now, reach 50 years of age, one in four would have been single all of their life as compared to my generation, which is 7%. So how do we, this is a question I think about a lot and I hope you, I want you to think about it. I want all of us to think about it together. How do we as a church equip and help those of us, and I want to use that word us, one of the subtle things, and maybe it's not so subtle things that I hope you get out of today, is that there is an us. Like the idea that we're all in this together, one for all, all for one, is a really big deal, not just to me, not just to uh, the Bible, but I think it's the point of history, and, and I'll make that clear. But those of us, how do we help those of us who are single? How do we equip those who are single? Because I believe the church has the resources in the gospel to cause single people to thrive. So much so, I think single people should flock to the church just for the simple fact that they are honored and given purpose. But that's not always the case. In fact, maybe it's rarely the case. One single woman described the pressure she felt in being in the church. First, she said, I'm always being pressured to get married. When are you going to get married? Second, she said, when you notice someone checking you out in church and you're checking them out in church, what do you do? I mean, do you like go, you know, when you're in worship, do you go all full Pentecostal, you know, washing heaven's windows, you know, or or is it kind of more subtle, like I'm carrying a TV, you know, of course, left hand raised so everyone can see you don't have a ring and like, like, how do you do that? And... Paper, do I, I, you know, I should do a paper Bible. If I just use my phone, they're going to think I'm shallow. Do I go up for prayer? Will I communicate that I'm humble and broken? Or will, you know, she's got issues. Or what will people say? <laughs> so much pressure. I don't think, um, I don't believe that in the church, I, I don't think our single people should be pressured. I think they should be honored and empowered. I don't think they should be singled out. I think they should be invited in. 
Because after all, the person that we say is the ultimate human being was single. And he was described of having the oil of gladness above his peers, even his married ones. So last week, Jesus taught on marriage and divorce. Number one, apparently you don't have to experience something to teach on it. Two, Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce is grounded in the concept that not only redefines what marriage is, but also singleness. So just after uh, describing marriage as beautiful and important, but also hard, so you need God's help, he has a few words for singles. So in verse 12, we'll read that again, for he says there, but there are also eunuchs, those born without reproductive organs, who have been so since birth. Uh, Many scholars uh, believe that uh, this is an analogy for being single, but saying that they were born for, uh, uh, or eunuchs from birth is communicating they are either intersex or without normal sexual, normative sexual desire. And then there are eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by men. So they wanted to be married, but there's a situation in life that's keeping them from being married. Maybe they haven't found the right person or not the right time. And then those who choose to remain unmarried for the purpose of something God has called them to, i.e. Jesus, And then he says, let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. Now, now commentators, uh, these descriptions, again, serve as analogies for for singleness. And this is why this was so radical. Everybody in his audience would have known that he's referencing Isaiah 56. Just like if I was to say, may the force be, I'm talking about, You know that. They would have known he was talking about Isaiah 56. And just in case you don't know what Isaiah 56 is about, is a passage in which eunuchs are promised in the coming of a Messiah an inheritance better than sons and daughters. Radical idea in this culture. You see, in Israel's day, singles were considered to be missing an essential part of life. Not only were they without a life partner, they were unable to have kids and kids guaranteed your inheritance in the people of God. Many people regarded eunuchs to be cursed. Isaiah 56 promises that in the coming, Messiah, in the coming kingdom of the Messiah, the eunuch will be blessed right us alongside the married because the Messiah In the Messiah, he will be given an eternal inheritance independent of children or family. In the Messiah, who is Jesus, any curse is removed and singleness is no longer a stigma. And I want to use this idea to debunk a deeply held myth in our culture that's not only believed in our culture, but sadly sometimes promoted in church as well. And here it is. It is the marriage equals completion myth. The marriage equals completion myth made famous by the movie Jerry Maguire. If you're under 30, I'm sorry, I'm not. And it's just where it comes from. Um, And it assumes, this is the myth, this is the myth. The myth assumes that marriage and nuclear family is some kind of ultimate state for mankind. And thus, if you don't find that special someone to live with, you have missed out on an essential part of a full and happy life. And you can hear this 
in how we console people who are single, how we encourage people are single. Don't worry, you'll get married someday. As if to say, oh, you know, poor you, I know you're miss- it must be so hard to be missing such an important, wonderful part of life. I mean, I read... I heard about this this one pastor who was single. He got so tired of this because every time he would go, he'd be at a wedding. You know, these old ladies would come up to him, grab him on the cheek and don't worry, you'll be next. Don't worry, you'll be next. He's like, he got so sick of it. He finally followed him to a funeral and said, hey, don't worry, you'll be next. And um, which I don't recommend. Um, It's terrible that he did that, but it worked. That's all I'm going to say. You know, you can't, you can't argue with the results. Um, or sometimes we tell singles, hey, you know, you'll, you just have to, you know, God just going to do a little bit more work on you before he brings you that special someone. Like you got to be a special someone before you can get a special someone. Now, there's, there's a part of that that I would say is helpful in the fact that we have, there's another myth that we live with, which is the right person myth. That if I just find the right person, everything's going to work out. That's not true. However, it communicates this subtle idea, like when the single person thinks, am I not special and lovable yet? That's not to mention the truly dysfunctional people I see get married. I mean, if, if, if being special was reward for marriage, I mean, I think God got the wrong address. Can I, you know... Now, we can laugh about these things, but this myth, the completion myth, leads to a lot of confusion and pain. And Jesus himself, who again was single, explicitly taught against it. So strongly, so strongly, if you didn't know better, you would think he was dissing marriage. And so I want to take you, we're going to hold your place in Matthew 19. I want to take you to three different places where Jesus says this very, very strongly, radically strong. And so I want to head over there to make this point, and I I really want to underline this point. Someone said to me the other day, Brian, when you get into uh, an argument, you're like like a shark that smells blood. You're like a bulldog. Um, Well, here I go again, because I really want to make this point. So Mark 3, he's teaching a crowd of people, and... His mother and his brothers came standing outside. They called him. So he's teaching inside. His mother and brother are outside. It's biological mother and brother outside. By the way, some of you are raised that, that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That's not true. There's, Jesus had brothers. Another myth. Two birds with one stone. There we go. Um, and there's a crowd outside of him saying, hey, look. He said to them, your mother and brother are outside. Your biological mothers and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking at the immediate group of people listening to him teach, he says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And what's going on here? I mean, is he dissing his family, his biological family? Is he embarrassed by them? I mean, some of you may be embarrassed by your family. I don't know who they are. He wasn't embarrassed by them and he wasn't dissing them either. He was using this opportunity to teach something very, very, very important, which is he had a family that was more important than even his biological one. 
In his death and resurrection, he was creating an eternal family that would even trump the bonds of biology. Now, you've got to hear this because this is the point of the Bible. By the way, the point of history. This is a big deal that God is a father in heaven and he's gathering for himself an eternal family made up of every tribe and every tongue, all different sizes of people for himself. And he's saying that is more important than what's going on here on this green and blue planet we call earth. Unpopular opinion. The nuclear family is not the center of God's kingdom. Now, let me be so clear. It is the center. It is the building block of our human society. That's true. I mean, if you want a a society to flourish on earth, promote family. That is absolutely true. And God ordered it that way. So don't get confused. However, it's just not the center of his kingdom, which is bigger than life here on earth. Okay, Luke 12. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you in the breast at which you nurse. Now, I love when people talk back to me. I wish you would do it more often. I wish you would, you know, preach or preach, you know, like I wish you would say things to me. I wish you'd encourage me. I'd say, man, it's an amazing point. Whatever you want to do. However, if you ever said, blessed are the breasts at which you nurse, I got to say that might throw me off a little bit. <laughs> and maybe just keep that thought to yourself. Because I don't know that I could recover. I don't know that I'd be able to finish if you said that to me. Well, this woman says this to me, says this to Jesus. And what she meant by that is, man, it must be awesome to be your mother. That's what she was saying. It must be amazing. Let that sink in. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, if Jesus was my, you know, biological brother, cousin, nephew, uncle, twice removed, something, another, whatever. I would weave that into every conversation I've ever had. Oh, you know, by the way, you know, you should know, but you know, I'm related to Jesus. Jesus says, being my mother, being my brother, not a big deal. That's what he was saying. Not a big deal. Being united to me in baptism and having my spirit indwell you, huge deal. Christopher Johans, a Christian author who I really respect, writes a lot about same-sex attraction and is single, says, our earthly families are temporarily bound by blood, but the family of God is eternally bound by the blood of the lamb. Mark 12, Jesus is, 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 dispute, is, is in the middle of an argument between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees uh, did not believe there was a resurrection. The Pharisees did, and he's, they're trying to get Jesus to weigh in on this. And it's kind of this weird, like, you know, if one bro- brother dies, the next brother marries the wife, and they all get to seven brothers, which is... I know it seems strange to us. And their question is, is who she married to in the resurrection? After, you know, in heaven. And Jesus is like, you're both wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, um, and he says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given to marriage, but are like angels in heaven, like angels in heaven. Jesus' answer was simple. In heaven, marriage is, 
the nuclear family do not exist. We saw in last week that according to Jesus, marriage was God's plan A for loneliness. And loneliness um, was not a, pro the ache we feel, the loneliness ache we feel is not a product of the fall, not a product of sin. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's about design. We are created in the image of God who is, uh, you know, he was three but one and equal but diverse. And so God's plan A for dealing with loneliness in this world is marriage. But in heaven, there will not be marriage or biological family, which isn't to say that we will lose our need for companionship. Because like in the garden, in heaven, it will not be good to be alone. We will not lose our need for companionship. It's just that God's way of dealing with our loneliness will be a new and better way than marriage. Marriage will no longer be God's plan A. And so whomever we're married to down here, we won't be married to up there. We won't be married at all. And maybe that makes you sad. And I gotta be honest with you, part of me makes, that makes me sad too. Um, until I remember there is no sadness in heaven. And that's because in heaven, our joys are not diminished at all. They are heightened, uh, transformed, matured. C.S. Lewis in his book, Miracles, says, likens this whole thing like, like a toddler who thinks the greatest thing in life is to get candy. And so imagine you are a grandmother trying to explain to your you know, toddler, granddaughter, some of the things that you most love about life, you know, falling in love, staring at the Grand Canyon, watching your kids graduate, the joy of a good book. Your toddler granddaughter comes up and says, well, will there be candy there? Uh, you know, will there be Skittles? Like, I can't imagine anything beyond Skittles. You have a hard time explaining to a toddler these pleasures that are so much bigger than eating candy. In fact, when you're wrapped up in these pleasures, you want to be thinking about candy. It's kind of like when we go to heaven, it's like we'll be captivated by the lamb. Lewis said that like that child, we lack the ability to understand the joys of heaven. So whatever God has for us there will be better than what we experience here. And that means whatever, um, like the relationship that, I have with my wife and kids, I'll even be closer to them in heaven, which I find hard to imagine. My wife doesn't find it hard to imagine. She could think of a lot of ways we could be close, but I find it hard to imagine. Gee, which that makes me less sad that somehow my relationship will be closer to them in a different kind of relationship, which is it's hard. For, I'm like, candy? Is there candy there? Is there candy there? I don't get it. That's because we're little kids. The point is, Jesus asserts this radical idea that marriage is not ultimate. And it's proven by the fact that we don't take it with us in the resurrection. Which means the relationships now, mothers, brothers, or wives, or father, they're only temporary. And the relationships you form in the body of Christ, this little thing that we call Jubilee Church, is even more important than that. That's what he's saying. John Piper said, Jesus was here calling out a new family where single people in Christ are people not a part of a traditional family. Our full-fledged 
family members on par with all others, bearing fruit for God and becoming mothers and fathers of an eternal kind. Now that's interesting. Marriage is temporary and it will finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and the church. The way a picture is no longer needed when you see face to face. Now, this has never happened to me, but you know, when, you, when you're away from someone for a long time that you really love, man, that picture is really nice to have. In fact, you know, you watch those kind of war movies where you have a soldier who's, you know, he's fighting a battle and he's been away from his wife and kids forever, but he's got that photo. He carries it within his pocket everywhere he goes and he'll endure anything, but he, he, won't, he doesn't want to let go of that photo. If he, if he drops the photo, he'll you know, risk his life to go get it. That, that picture is everything to him. He never wants to let that go. It's so important to him. But, but when he goes back to his wife and kids, he's no longer fixated on the picture. He's with his wife and kids. There'll be a day where this thing called marriage, which is a picture of our relationship with him, we will no longer be staring at the picture. We'll be staring at the one that the picture points to, who is Jesus. Paul said a thing, do not set your mind on things of this earth, transient things, set your mind on things above. Because the things of this world are passing away. So let me just tell you, if you have this thought, I cannot think of anything better than family, than kids or marriage. My brother and sister, I've got good news for you. There is something that is so much better. No eye has ever seen, no ears ever heard, no mind has ever imagined the things that he has stored up for us. And you can take a part of that now. We can experience, we can taste of the age to come now. And we're meant to experience that together. So when we say things like, um, you know, be a part of a group and, and do community together. This isn't just like to pass the time. Yeah. We're talking about the, the, the eternal family of God, stronger than even our biological ones. There's a whole world out there he wants you to experience. One more, and we'll go back to Matthew 19. This is actually Paul. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time, talking about Christ's return, has grown very short from now on. Let those who have wives live as those they have none, which sounds like you know, some mantra going to Vegas or something, but that's not what's going on here. He, um, he goes on, those who mourn as though they're not mourning, those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. You can underline this verse, or underline this part. For the present form of this world is passing away. It's passing away. It's passing away. Yeah, be married, but be married in a way that's, that you're not. Be, be single, but be single in a way that you're not. Yeah, you know, do your job, but do your job in a way that you're not. Vote, but do it in a way that you're not. What does that mean? It means that there, 
all those things that we think are really, really important are just temporary. But there is something that you can experience and taste of that isn't. So the, for the married man to live as though he had no wife means to reflect on the fact that your marriage is neither permanent or ultimate. And those of you who are single, he's saying, should reflect on the fact that your situation is not permanent either. Both situations, either being married or single, are light and momentary and will soon give way to what is permanent and ultimate, the body of Christ. Both marriage and singleness are gifts, temporary gifts given to fulfill his purposes on earth in this age, but not the one to come. So treat them that way. Treat your singleness, treat your marriage as a gift, as a gift to fulfill his purpose on earth. Don't invert it and make it the thing. Man, I just, I just want to come to church so I can be, I want to be a better, a better spouse and I want, to be a, I want to be a better dad and I want to have a better family and I just want a better life for my kids. And that's great. I'm glad that you're doing that, but it's not ultimate. Don't reverse the, you got to reverse. Those things are gifts to help you participate in what is ultimate. That's why Paul, even he gets so wrapped up in this. He's like, you know what? I just wish that everybody was single like me. I just find so much joy in building the kingdom. I don't have to, I'm not weighed down by the things that married people are weighed down by. You know, I can move in 15 minutes from place to place. I don't need an 18-wheeler just to carry the pillows in. Like I can, I can, I, I'm just free to do whatever. I just have one kind of soap. I didn't, I don't have all different kinds of <laughs> I like having different kinds of soap. Sometimes I feel different. Um, single, <laughs> is this being recorded? Uh, singleness, singleness can be a gift to allow you to be mo more devoted to God, which is the point. It is the point. It is, the, married or single, it is the point. But I'm low, I need a companion. I want someone to do life with. Again, Jesus allows us and promises us the, the ability to taste of the age to come now. And he says in Mark 10, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake. So you live with purpose. I, I am, I am, I'm, if, if you're married, by the way, if you never thought of it, if you're married, God has assigned you to be married. If you're single, God has assigned you to be single. Maybe for now, Forever, I don't know. But you live as though God has assigned you this and let tomorrow figure out tomorrow because today has enough problems. But he says, anyone who's leaving these things for my sake and for the gospel will receive a hundredfold. Underline this, now in this time, like now, like today, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. When you read the book of Acts, which is this beautiful picture of the early church that we all love, they experience every hardship you could possibly imagine. Persecution, poverty, famine. But no one seems to be lonely. We have the opposite. We don't experience any of that. And God forbid we ever did. 
but we have loneliness. Don't have to be that way. There's married people who are lonely. It is an epidemic. You know, in England, there is a minister of loneliness. It's like a cabinet position. The church isn't the only one concerned about this. It's a societal issue. But I really want to have kids. Jesus taught spiritual offspring, listen to me, are more, much more important and eternal than biological offspring. Doesn't mean that, of course, your biological ones can become spiritual ones too. In fact, that's the cry of every parent's heart that wants to make much of Jesus. You can have spiritual kids. Jesus was single, but God gave him spiritual children all over the world. And remember, oil of gladness above his peers. The only thing that you'll miss out on or be unfulfilled by is sexual. And that's a a legitimate loss that I don't want to minimize, but God also promised to give you special charisma, special grace for that. Enable you to live a holy life, a happy and fulfilled life without sex. And most, again, the most joy-filled, love-filled man, person who ever walked this earth did so without sex. And he taught the ultimate, the, the ultimate and greatest form of love to experience is not sexual, it's sacrificial. Greater love has no man than this, than the one who lies down his life for his friends. Rebecca McLaughlin, who's an author I just really appreciate, she says, you won't wither without sex. You will wither without friend and family connection. And Jesus provides that in the church. My point is, if God calls you to singleness, whether for a season or for your whole life, he will supply you with the necessary graces to live a happy and fulfilled life. Which brings us back to our main text, verse 12, and I'll end with this. Um, He says, let the one who's able to receive this, receive it. And that word receive is the Greek word uh, kyrio, which means to make room for something, to clear a path for it. So my encouragement to you, whatever stage you're in, is you clear a path for this calling that you have. And here's a few things to do. Number one, devote yourself to God, which of course we're all trying to do, but um, I'm particularly thinking about making... uh, leaning into God for your strength and making him your all in all. I'm reminded and so helped by um, Jesus when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And sometimes we don't like to think of Jesus this way, but he was in the garden. It says that he was, according to Hebrews 5, he was crying out loudly with tears. What was he crying out? Father, I don't want to do what you want me to do. If there's any way that you can remove this thing called the cross in front of me, remove it. Maybe you're like, I don't want to be single. I get rid of this. Jesus prayed the prayer. You could pray that prayer. But then he says, then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. 
In other words, embraces in his moment of something he did not want to do. He embraced the will of God for his life. And I am for one glad he did. God did not change it. The father did not change his situation. But we read in Luke that angels came and strengthened him, gave him grace to endure what he had in front of him. And he, according to Hebrews, it was for the joy, the joy set before him. It's not a grin and bear. There's a joy in this if you'll put him at the center. Leverage your singleness for all your worth. I, I just would want to say whatever situation you're in, leverage it for all it's worth for the kingdom. Don't think about the money payoff. Think about the kingdom payoff. Don't think about uh, the relaxing payoff. Think about the, the kingdom payoff. Don't think about your career advancing payoff. Think about the kingdom. Whatever situation you're in, leverage for all it's worth. But this is on singleness. So I'm going to say leverage your singleness for all it's worth. I mean, again, Paul's just like, man, he was just like, man, everywhere I look, I just see opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. I think everyone should be single. He didn't really mean that, by the way. He just felt that way at the moment. But invest in God's eternal family now. Let me just say to your sing- your g- singles, this generation is, is a generation defined by FOMO. Fear of missing out. I want to replace it with FOSO. Fear of squandering opportunities. So I just want to say over everyone, FOSO, in Jesus' name. Like... <laughs> Use this opportunity. Listen to Eminem, whatever pumps you up to like make the most of. Is that okay? Okay, sorry. Thirdly, lean into your eternal family, the church. You need the church and they need you. Get involved. Get to know people personally, not just other people who are single. Get to know families. Get to know, um, receive mothers and fathers. Be a mother and father. Be a brother. Be a sister. Learn what that family is like. Man, I've been so blessed by that personally. Um, in the church, is my life as a single, I've been so blessed. My kid, I just love it that, that happens with our kids, that they get invested in, that they have older brothers and sisters that they can look up to. It's just, and mothers and grandmothers and all the, everything. It's great. Huge blessing. Lean into your eternal family. Then lastly, I want to say this to the church, that we have this responsibility to include the singles into our families. Firstly, we need to see treasures. We need to see them as treasures Paul saw them as, not as a project you need to fix. Um, Don't let me hear that. I will get involved. Uh, and invite them over. And not just to babysit your kids. Yeah. I just remember, Rach, when we were, remember when we were just getting to know each other, both single. She just, somebody would call her up and say, hey, what are you doing Friday night? She got all excited. Oh my gosh, I'm getting invited over. Nothing. Great, could you watch my kids? Oh. I told her, I was like, go watch them and curse them. No, I just kidding, I didn't say that. Um, 
steal their jewelry. I don't know. I didn't say that either. Um, invite them into your family. I mean, do both. I mean, it's, it, that's the thing. Like you, they, they have things that you need and you have things that they need and vice versa. And so it's good to be a mutual blessing. I'm not saying don't do that, but let it be out of a heart for them, not just what you can get from them. Um, I'm so, I'm, I'm blessed that I, I hear stories like that, how that happens. And, and I want to encourage us in this. I just, God has so many, the band can kind of come up, that God has so many big things, so much bigger. I mean, we just get so caught up in these light momentary things, but God has such big things. And, he, and the joy that he's going to give you in your life, if you'll hear it, if you'll receive it. So Jesus said this to married and to single, if you'll receive this, meaning if you will clear a path for this to happen in your life, it will happen. There is a joy beyond the joy that you're either experiencing in your marriage and in your family, or you think that you would if you had it, that will befuddle you. It will blow your mind if you'll receive it, if you'll clear a path for it. That's how I want us to pray. Why don't you stand? God, I thank you, Jesus. We, God, Jesus, we are so sorry for making this picture ultimate. This picture you've given us of your love for us is not ultimate. You are. We're just sorry for making that ultimate. Those of, those of us who are married, we're sorry for making our marriage ultimate, making our family ultimate. We're sorry for that. We want to turn, we want to repent of that thinking. For those who are single who've had the same idea, we repent from that too. And God, I pray for grace to live out the calling that you put in front of us. You have joy, you have meaning, you have purpose for each and every one of us. God, and I pray that you would draw us together as one, not old and young, not married and single, not black or white, but one, one mind, one heart. May it be, Lord. Amen.